The economy is getting back underway, and with it, the world of pro sports. Stay ahead of the curve with the unparalleled tools of two world-class news desks covering developments across finance, economics, technology, and sports. Subscribe to Bloomberg.com, and if you are not already a The Athletic subscriber, for a limited time, receive a complimentary subscription to The Athletic. Go to Bloomberg.com slash subscribe to sign up today. Again, that is Bloomberg.com slash subscribe to sign up today. Yo, yo, welcome to another edition of the Clip City podcast. I'm your host, Jovan Buha, Clippers beat writer for The Athletic, and I can barely talk right now. Uh, we are coming live post-game, game one. The Clippers defeated the Dallas Mavericks 118-110 to to take a 1-0 lead in the best-of-seven series. Joining me is frequent podcast guest. He is a great follow on Twitter, and you should check out his Patreon Justin Russo, aka Fly by Night. Justin, how you doing? I'm doing remarkably decent. How are you doing? Uh, I, I'm solid uh, for sanity purposes. If I have to see another Reggie Jackson defensive possession, oh, I'm going to lose my mind. You already want to get started? You already want to get started, buddy? Ah <laughs> uh, man, uh, that that was uh, driving me crazy. Um, so. To again recap, the Clippers beat the Mavericks one eighteen to one ten. Uh, this was an insane game for many reasons. Uh, to start, the Clippers get off to this incredible run that we have seen multiple times from the starters this season, uh, where they just blitz someone to start the game. They go up eighteen to two. Everyone's tweeting about you know the Clippers are here. That they flipped the switch. <laughs> uh, everyone's going crazy on Twitter. And all of a sudden, the Mavericks mount this insane run where after being down 18 to 2, they respond with a 48 to 18 run to take a 50 to 36 lead. And from that point on, it was kind of a back and forth game. Um, you know, so the Mavericks led 38 34 at the end of the first. They also led 69 66 at halftime. Then the Clippers took control in the third, uh, went into the fourth quarter with an 87 to uh, 82 lead and then ended up winning this game by eight. Um, but to me, I mean, th- this fourth quarter was very, very close. Um, if you actually look at the play by play for the first 10 minutes of the fourth quarter, neither team led by more than five points. They, they you know, were literally trading baskets um, for, for 10 minutes there until Marcus Morris's three with a minute 58 left gave the Clippers a seven-point lead, and from that point on, they never uh, led by fewer than four points. So that, that to me, was kind of the dagger, and, and that's uh, what I'm writing about for tomorrow. But um, where do you want to start with this? Like, what, what were your initial thoughts from this game? Did anything surprise you? Did anything stand out? Um, you know, we, we got to mention Luca had 42 points, seven rebounds, nine assists, and 11 turnovers in his playoff debut, which... Um, he, he was incredible, you know, t- to me, the best player on the floor. So uh, wh- what what stood out for you in, in game one? This is going to sound like an insane statement to make, 
when you just mentioned Luka Doncic scored 42 points and did it on 13 of 21 from the field. But wow, Marcus Morris Sr. did a really good job defensively on him. When he got his time on him, I thought he made Luka work really well. He he was the player of the game for me. Um, By you know, far. I, you know, I, I know Kawhi, okay, 29 points, 12 rebounds, 6 assists, 3 steals. He's Kawhi. And, um, you know, the, the stat got tweeted out by NBA stats that he's the first player to lead his team in points, rebounds, and assists for three different teams in the playoffs. Like, Kawhi's Kawhi. Um, you know, this was a three-point shot wasn't falling, was just one for seven. But aside from that, it was 11 for 21 overall, six for six on the free throw line. Like, this this was Kawhi, plus 18. Like, the Clippers die when Kawhi's not on the floor. Like, uh, this is a Kawhi game. And, and PG, I, I thought, you know, that there was kind of a middle stretch there where he wasn't shooting the ball as well. And playoff P um, trolls were, were going at him on Twitter. And uh, But look, he finished 27 points, 10 of 22, four threes, a uh, couple steals. I thought Paul was really solid and, and played that sidekick role well. But as you said, Marcus Morris, uh, Clipper high, 19 points. Those are the most points he had scored as a Clipper, obviously in the postseason, but in the regular season as well. Um, you know, eight of 13 shooting. I, I went back and looked at his, his shot selection and um, a lot of catch and shoots, a, a, a lot of, um, you know, post ups on smaller guys. Like th- there were a yeah, couple he, bad shots. I don't mean to but, cut you off. He had a no, lot. Yeah, well, I shouldn't say a lot. He had several. Uh, post-ups where he got mid-range turnaround mid-range jumpers off against smaller guys. I remember one vividly where I want to say it was against Seth Curry, in fact, and he he got his look uh, off a switch and he was able to, you know, to, to get down there and he scored. And it was like, wow, like this is, this was the best he's looked. And I don't want to just say offensively or defense, like this is the best he's looked as a Clipper, like all around. I thought his comfort level looked good. Like he looked comfortable, like you could clearly see that they were fine having him guard Luka Doncic at times. Like he, everyone got a, got a chance on him. Patrick Beverly started out on him. Then Marcus Morris got on him. Kawhi and PG got their time. R- Reggie Jackson kind of got some time. Maybe how to remember Oof, seeing them. That was, <laughs> well, he got, well, we'll get into that. Don't worry. <laughs> but yeah. Um, the other thing I do want to mention, you brought this up. Like this was a close game, you know, as we go through the fourth and it reminded me like, yeah, the Clippers went 3 and 0 against them this year. Yes, I completely understand that. Like the Clippers are definitely the better team. I understand that. But in two of the three meetings, those games were like razor thin going to the last half of the fourth quarter and the Clippers just hit like a run that like clinched the game. And it's like, you know, like yeah, that's cool that they kind of did that again tonight. But that's a very dangerous game to play especially against a guy like Luka Doncic. Like you're just banking on the fact that like they have a bad cl- uh, crunch time offense to keep uh, rearing its ugly head. And that's a real dangerous game. And they got away with it tonight. I don't know if they're going to get away with it in the, in the future, especially with how they played some defense because their defense was not great. It was pretty bad. So the biggest takeaway for me, um, you know, j- just to, to wrap up the Marcus point, I, I was with you. I, I think overall was his best game by far. Um, you know, I tweeted pregame. Um, someone, you know, I was talking about the defensive matchups and someone tweeted, yeah, the Clippers have three defenders in their starting lineup to throw at him. And I knew what that person meant, which was Kawhi, PG, and Pat. And I responded, they actually have four uh, because Marcus can comfortably switch onto him and defend him, you know, respectably. And, and he was better than respectable in this game. You know, I thought he probably defended him um, 
as well as anybody. Like he 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 took Kawhi. I mean, Luca's just amazing. Like he, he took Kawhi and PG off the dribble repeatedly. Um, he obviously got everybody in foul trouble on the roster uh, <laughs> that, that defended him. Like he was amazing. He, he was for sure the best player in this game. But um, my biggest takeaway was I was I was I was intrigued by Doc's rotations heading into this, and I, you know, going off of last season. There was the two-unit platoon, but last season's team was so equal from a talent perspective that, you know, Lou and Trez could be just as effective offensively as, like, Gallo and Shea, right? Like, I mean, maybe that sounds blasphemous now, but at the time, it was like, yeah, like, you you have a couple scores on the starting unit, you have a couple scores on the bench unit, your bench unit might even be the better offensive unit, and it makes sense to kind of split the minutes. And and then, of course, closing lineup, you go with your best five. But for the first 40 minutes or so, you're going to be platooning. And you're going to mix and match a little bit. But for the most part, Doc has his his core you know, lineups with the starters where there's like three or four guys. Uh, you know, Core lineups with, with the bench where there's three or four guys. And, and that's kind of how he operates. Heading into game one, I thought that was going to be different. Um, and I especially thought that was going to be different because... You had Pat Beverly returning after missing the last five games. You had Landry Shamit returning after missing the last three games. And you had Montrez Harrell returning after missing the entire seeding play in the bubble. Has not played, you know, he had not played a game since March um, b- before tonight. So just having those three guys, having Trez on a minutes limit, I was like, Doc kind of has no choice but to mix and match the rotation and, and just, you know, not stick with starters and bench. Uh, but that's exactly what he did, and the bench lineups were atrocious. Um, they were awful. You know, overall, every bench player except for Lou, who was in the closing lineup, so that kind of bolstered his his plus minus and, and played a lot with the starters in place of Pat. You know, Jamichael minus sixteen, Trez minus seven, Reggie Jackson minus eight, Landry minus nineteen in, in eight minutes. Like the bench got shredded by by honestly some lineups without Luca in them, like some. Kristaps Porzingis heavy lineups, um, even some lineups without either of Dallas's two stars shredded the Clippers bench. And I just thought the biggest takeaway for me is Doc cannot do that anymore. Uh, Reggie Jackson and Lou Williams were both train wrecks defensively. They were especially train wrecks defensively together. And I just think moving forward, Doc is going to have to keep at least two starters on the floor at all times. And this was a unique game because the Clippers got in early foul trouble, especially, uh, you know, Pat, PG and Kawhi. But I just did not like the bench-heavy lineups. And, and maybe that'll get better. You know, Trez, it was his first game back. Lou's still kind of, you know, only been back a week, week and a half. Like, you know, those guys will get their legs under them. But defensively, it was just terrible. Yeah, the problem for the Clippers, and this is really a problem that they should have been trying to figure out throughout the season if they had been healthy. At a certain point, you almost have too many players and you want to get them all minutes. And I don't think this is a series where you can go 10 deep or 11 deep if you count Terrence Mann's 17 seconds of just defense. But you cannot play 10 deep in the series. I just don't think you can because Dallas is too good offensively and you're going to have too many negative defenders. So we already know the eight players that are going to play. It's Kawhi, Marcus, Evita Zubats, PG, Beverly, Lou, Harrell, and Green. Those are your eight guys who are absolutely positively going to play no matter what. They need to figure out the ninth guy. And if it's Reggie, it's Reggie. If it's Landry, it's Landry. I think it should be Landry because boy, oh boy, 
Them Reggie Jackson minutes, those are not pretty to watch, and they have not been pretty to watch at all in the bubble. His shot selection is awful. His IQ offensively seems like it has absolutely regressed from where it was before the season stopped. And defensively, I just don't want to talk about it because it's that bad. <laughs> this Reggie that we've seen, like he, he was decent the first couple games in the bubble, but you know the last five or six games plus this game, this is the Reggie that Pistons Twitter warned us about. This is the Reggie that I was nervous about when the Clippers signed him. Um, you know, I was very skeptical of the move. I publicly said that and said, "Hey, if I'm wrong, um, you know, you can roast me." And at first, it looked like that. You know, he played out of his mind. Uh, you know, uh, pre hiatus, he had that nine game stretch, sixty seven percent true shooting, forty five percent three point shooting. That was obviously unsustainable. But he did seem to accept his role. He he unlocked a new version of Lou Williams offensively. And for, you know, 15, 18 minutes off the bench, he was solid. But since then, he's been just terrible defensively. Um, you know, I, I think, honestly, arguably worse than Lou. Probably not because Lou's just so bad defensively. But Re- Reggie's almost been more destructive. And, and Doc kind of called him out without calling him out in that he said he was talking about how undisciplined the defense was and just talking about players messing up coverages and just leaving shooters and that you know conversely he thought the most impressive thing about Luca's game was not the 42 points but more than nine assists and all the shots he created and how anytime a clipper defender left a maverick shooter open he found that guy and you know they didn't always make the shots obviously but Reggie was was like culprit number one on that and he's been doing that all all seating play he just leaves the corner guy all the time for really like and and it's a lot of times on drives where there's he's not even the help guy like he's the backline guy but there isn't even anyone to rotate over to so he'll like rotate into the paint for absolutely no reason just leaving a corner shooter wide open and then the guy that's driving will just kick it to that guy and then that guy either cans a three or drives and we'll you know, get to the rim or, or Reggie will foul him or something. And it's just like he just makes these mind-boggling decisions defensively. And then <laughs> Doc – well, th- there's two things. But you'll, you can mention the second one. But Doc, it, w- with like 45 seconds left or something, um, oh my he, inserted, God. he inserts him twice. So I'm going to mention the first time. You can mention the second time. He inserts him with like 45 seconds left for Lou – for defense and uh, they run a pick and roll switch him on to Luca and Luca just gets a layup on him and I'm just like why was he in for defense like throw in Terrence Mann throw in Rodney Magruder throw in Landry Shamit like throw you know obviously Lou probably needed to be subbed out in that instance but maybe that's where you go Jamichael and you go a little bit bigger Uh, but I just I, I was shocked by that decision with how bad he had been not only today defensively but overall in the bubble He's been their worst or second worst defender, and, and it's not close. And I, I just couldn't believe that. Yeah, the second time, I couldn't believe what I was watching. So the Clippers, this was what, with like 30 seconds to go, right? And, you know, there, it's a foul game at that point, and Dallas is trying to hope the Clippers miss free throws. So Dallas has the ball, and he takes out Patrick Beverly for Reggie Jackson. I'm like, that's weird. Like, I understand Pat had five fouls at that point, you, but like, what's the what's the big deal if he fouls out? Like, that's not a big deal anymore because you're trying to play time and you're trying to play the fact that if if you get a stop, you win the game. And he puts in a way worse defender, and then on the dead ball on the offensive end right after that, 
he takes out Reggie and puts in Pat. And I'm like, wouldn't you just put back in the really good free throw shooter? Like, what's what are we doing? And Pat missed both free throws. <laughs> and, and I'm not say, I'm not saying that like like the result is why the process was like it's just bad process before the result. And and I know there's going to be people who listen to this and are like, you know, you guys think you know more or can do better, and and I don't think we're stating that. I, I just you know, and I, I get coaching is difficult, and there are frankly, obviously, poli- there's always politics behind the scenes, right? And it's like, you know, I think you and I have been very vocal on the bench Lou and Trez at the end of games uh, bandwagon. But the truth is, those guys in terms of like hierarchy on the team are probably third and fourth in the locker room behind Kawhi and PG and telling those two guys, hey, like accept a bench role, play fewer minutes and now not close games like that is a lot to ask of of players who obviously think very highly of themselves and rightfully so to an extent. So, I you know I, I think that it, that is something that because the Clippers closed this game with Lou. I mean, the closing lineup ended up basically being uh, they, they went really small with Marcus at the five, Marcus, Kawhi, PG, uh, Lou, and Pat. And Lou was targeted a few times defensively, not not as bad as I think it will be against other teams. But um, I, I think overall, like. It, it is difficult to make some of these decisions, but I just think very clearly, like Reggie's not been playing well tonight. He was zero for five, had one assist. Um, you know, I, I just again, and, and all five shots I thought were pretty bad. I think one of them might have been like a catch and shoot three, but everything else was just uh, you know uh, atrocious. And he took I just a don't... layup. He took a layup. I wanted to stab my eyes. It was it was the layup like really early in the shot clock against like three defenders. And I'm just like, dude, like, what are we doing? And, and I think you, you've said this in the past to, you know, and if I'm misquoting you, then, you know, correct me, but he, he's almost like a worse Lou. Like, and it's almost like you have two Lou's out there, but he's just worse than Lou. So I, you know, I, I just think moving forward, the Clippers, I, I think have to stagger. Um, I personally don't think they should ever have a second that counts without Kawhi or PG on the floor. Um, I, I think those two guys are just so important. And to Doc's credit, he did stagger a lot, and I, I think they're you know might have been like five to eight minutes without those guys overall. Foul trouble and got, foul trouble hurt. Yeah. yeah, foul trouble wonkied them a little bit because they had, each one was like one of them was on the floor the entire first quarter until Paul George got his second foul. Like, like with about a minute to go in the first, and then they both were off. But then when they started the second quarter, I believe Kawhi was back on. And it's and it's so, like and they did it in the fourth, too. Like, uh, Paul George had four fouls, like, going to the fourth, and Doc started him for the fourth. And I was like, oh, all right, at least he understands the importance that the fouls don't really matter at this point. Like, you need your best players there. And uh, another thing that I, I know fans were talking about was – Zoo had a, another great game. He's averaging a double-double in the season series against the Mavericks. Had 10 points, 10 rebounds, including five offensive, a couple blocks. What um, was instrumental on protecting the rim against Luka. Uh, I believe both blocks were against him, and he also had you know altered a few of his shots. Was a plus 17, the third best on the team behind Marcus and Kawhi. Uh, and ended up with 22 minutes because he did not play a second of the fourth quarter. So true to doc form, uh, zoo plays out of his mind. Trez is on a minutes limit and he doesn't. Now, 
you know, that might have been a little bit because of the Porzingis matchup. You know, Doc went with, with Trez, Jamichael, and Marcus at the five in, in the fourth. So you, you could tell that he was downsizing and going smaller. But um, I thought Zoo played really well and, and, you know, played well even when Porzingis was out and, and they were going with Kleba at, at the five, like, um, I, or Boban. Like, I, I thought, um, I think only Trez might have only played against Boban. But, uh, Regardless, I, I just thought Zoo played well. Um, it was funny to just not see him get any fourth quarter minutes again. But um, it, hey, if, if Zoo plays like this, whether it's twenty minutes, twenty two minutes, whatever, like he's doing his job, and um, I, I think he's been really, really good. You know, t- tonight I thought was their fourth best player behind uh, the the two stars and Marcus, and uh, it, it's encouraging to see him continue this even with Trez back, albeit uh, on a minutes restriction. I do want to say one thing. Uh, well, two things in regards to Visa Zubats. Number one, the shot profile the team gives up with him on the floor is so much better than the one they give up with him off the floor. Um, now, Dallas shot a lot of threes and got to the rim a lot in, inside the paint in this game. Like they, they only took like seven mid-range shots the entire night. And to put that in perspective, I think Kawhi Leonard alone took like 10. Um, but that's just the way the Clippers offense goes. And Dallas is, is a very, quote-unquote, Mori ball. But as far as Avita Zubats goes, and the shot profile is interesting, if you actually look at it, 18 of the 35 shots the Mavericks attempted with him on the floor were threes. It was 25 of 46 when he was off the floor. So, like, they they took more threes in terms of, like, field goal uh, distribution. Same thing with stuff inside the paint. The other thing I want to mention is, I don't know if you noticed this, but with about two minutes to go, Doncic uh, gets by someone and and, uh, Trez is late on, like, a help at the rim. And Doncic gets the layup. I don't know if you noticed this when it happened on the telecast. You can see Zubats get up right when Luca's driving and tell them something. And when whatever it was, they didn't do it because he gets livid on the bench. Like he slams the towel into the chair. Like he looks mad. And I'm just like, look, man, if this is the one guy as a big who understands what the other team is trying to do, you might just have to ride that guy. Because the other ones, and I understand, and I'm, I'm trying to be very fair to Montrezl Harrell here, and I, I basically give Montrezl Harrell an entire pass for this game, and even the next couple, because his situation that he's coming back from is really uh, tough to, to deal with. So I don't even kind of care how he plays for the rest of the series, as long as he just gets his conditioning down. But when Zubats is the guy who's reading and understanding everything defensively, and you can see that from the bench, and you can see the failures that the lineup without him is having... I'm sorry. You just kind of have to play that guy because he's getting offensive rebounds. He's winning you second chance opportunities. He's protecting the rim. Like, I don't know what else he has to do. Like if he can't play in this matchup, what matchup can he play again? Uh, Playing because like, is it going to be against potentially Jokic, potentially Gobert? Probably not. Cause doc's still going to rhyme uh, Trez and Jamichael at the five sometimes. So I think, it's and I understand Doc's situation is tough with the centers. Like you have basically have three really good centers, and you have to find them forty eight minutes a night, and that's tough. But maybe you should start giving more minutes to the guy who was better that night. And Evita Zubas was really good tonight, and his chemistry with Marcus Morris I think is a really underrated thing because I've noticed in the bubble their chemistry together, especially offensively in the pick and roll game, when Morris has been given greater leeway as a pick and roll ball handler, which he was very good at with the New York Knicks before they, uh, the, before the Clippers got him, 
they have a nice little chemistry and a nice little one, two together and also defensively as well. And I just think that just give them, give them 30 minutes one night. What's the worst that happens? Like he gets roasted defensively and then you go, okay, well maybe 22 is his cap. You got to try something though. Cause Dallas isn't going to roll over after game one. They're going to come back out in game two and try to hit him in the mouth. So the, the only thing I would, um, counter with here well first off i'm glad doc gave zoo praise a couple days ago where he finally admitted this which he had taken him all season to to admit that zoo was the team's lone rim protector and that he's done a great job at it um i I think those are uh words to clipper fans ears that have have been on team zoo um all season and i i think i'm with you in that like he probably should have played more I do think, though, this is a bit of a tough matchup for him in that, like, if if Dwight Powell were playing um, or Bo, I mean, Boban, I think, only kind of played in, in those second unit pockets um, against Trez. And I, I think they try to exploit Trez's size disadvantage. And they, they did that a bit in Dallas, but hasn't translated to the bubble. Um, but I think when they're going five out, like you, you did see it against the Rockets uh, back in March, that Zoo can hang when a team is going five out, especially if you just put him on the corner guy. And maybe in this instance, it's putting Zoo on Dorian Finney-Smith. And I, I know Zach Lowe had suggested that. Um, I also but, think it would be Kleba. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it's been Kleba. But I, I think, you know, you, you want Zoo as a rim deterrent. And if his job is kind of like hang with Kleba in the corner and like try to make rotations before, you know, Luca gets to the rim and is kicking to Kleba and now someone has to rotate over or Zoo trying to rotate over. Like, I, I just, I do think he's a little bit compromised defensively if they are going with a five out system and his, the guy he's defending is stretching the floor exclusively. And, and that was kind of how, I mean, Kleba was sometimes a screener, but a, a lot of times he was kind of up at that wing range, um, sometimes sliding to the corner as just the shooter. And I, I think that does compromise you a little bit from a defensive perspective, unless the Clippers just want to give up threes to Kleba, which maybe that's part of the game plan. But I, so I, I do think like next round, for example, like to, to me, he should be mirroring Jokic's minutes. And I know that's not going to happen. He's not going to play 40 minutes. But to, to me, he's he's the guy clearly that who defends Jokic the best. Um, you know, it's not a good matchup for Trez and it's not even really a good matchup in my opinion for Jermichael. Um, you know, Jokic is just too big and strong. Like I, I think you need zoo and then Rudy, similar thing. Like Rudy is, is a terrible matchup for Trez. He, he's eating Trez's lunch during the season series is blocking him and, and affecting his shots and, um, you know, not allowing him to get offensive rebounds and rolls and stuff. So I do think zoo will be more important next round, wh- whoever they face. Uh, but, this round, I mean, like, I think I'm with you in the macro. He, he should be playing more. I just, I do think w- when they lost Porzingis, that did change the complexion of kind of the rotation a little bit. I, mm-hmm. I think it made, I was glad, look, I was glad he went small. Like, I, we'd been wanting to see this Marcus at the five lineup for a while. Like, um, so I, I was glad and, you know, I guess it ended up working. Uh, but l- let's spin this forward. Um, what are your adjustments for game two? What are your adjustments for the rest of the series? What would you like to see the Clippers um, do moving forward? 
So two interesting things that do have to go with going forward here is number one, I don't know if you remember this from the seeding game that these two teams played. Do you remember that when like they would run Porzingis action at the elbow and Boban, who started that game at center for them, would flare to the corner and Zubats was supposed to defend the corner and Kawhi was on Porzingis, they would switch Porzingis or they would switch Kawhi and Zubats to keep Zubats closer to the rim. Do you remember that? Yeah. I didn't see Dallas run any of that action tonight that put the that put the center and Porzingis on the same side of the floor uh when Porzingis was in the game before the ejection, which by the way was entirely bogus. He should not have been ejected. Double technical fouls are the worst thing going around in the NBA. They need to never happen. And that was my little rant for that. Um because that really made me mad. We, we didn't talk about that. That um, really made me mad. That ruined the game. To me, so the technicals I, in this game were awful. Yeah, I was gonna say the, the PG and, and Porzingis tech I had a bigger issue with. Um while I, I'm against the double tech in principle, I get that sometimes you have to do that. And I, I thought in that instance, um like with the context that KP already had a, a tech, maybe that's an instance in which you just say like, Hey guys, you know, it's not a big deal. Like, let's just let this go. I do think in general, like, you know, the, the point of the double tech is to kind of prevent something from escalating to kind of give guys a warning of like, Hey, if you guys do anything else again, the rest of this game, you're going to be ejected. The problem of course was KP had already gotten a stupid tech for, you know, kind of moving his arm demonstrably and, and, it was basically the same thing PG had done a few minutes earlier, and he got a tech on that. So the refs keeping it consistent gave KP a tech. But both of those techs are ridiculous. You know, it's the playoffs. It's game one. You should not call the that on those guys. And I think while it would have been stupid to you know double techs, I agree are, are just stupid overall. Like if he doesn't have that tech, then it's just a double tech, and we move on. And like that's just one of those you know, fake fight plays that happen, you know, once every three games or whatever. So, you know, I I thought Marcus Morris did a Marcus Morris thing, which is kind of escalate a little bit after the play. And I I did think that at first it was kind of being, you know, I I do think KP escalated it a little bit. Uh, Again, not not necessarily enough to warrant a double tech, uh, but that was the description that the refs gave afterward to the pool reporter that he came in and kind of escalated it because, you know, uh, Morris and Luca got in each other's faces. The refs started to break it up. And then all of a sudden, KP kind of comes and makes contact with Marcus. And that's when Pat steps in. And, and you know, then there's some shoving. And, and then it, you know, really kind of escalates into a, a fake fight. So, again, I, I I think overall, just, you know, the, the techs were all stupid in this game. I do see the purpose behind a double tech, even if it does kind of seem stupid. Uh, but it just was unfortunate in this scenario that he already had a, a dumb tech and that ended up, you know, getting him ejected and, and really mm-hmm. changing again, the complexion of this game. Uh, my last, my last thing is kind of uh, a joint thing. If you're the Clippers defensively, number one, please don't overhelp on Luka Doncic when he drives, at least pay attention to the weak side shooters, please. And number two, if that weak side shooters, Michael K. Gilchrist, just let him shoot. I understand he was two of three from three tonight. He did that in eight minutes. It was the first time Michael Kidd Gilchrist, I can't, that's a tough name for me to say, apparently. Michael Kidd Gilchrist had made two threes in a game in over a year. And you ready for the fun part? He had not hit a three with the Dallas Mavericks prior to tonight. Really? Yeah. 
So he was like, oh, of, he'd only taken three in 13 games with them, but he, he hadn't made one. So tonight he makes two. And that's the other thing, too. If Dallas is going to play these guys like Dorian Finney-Smith, like Michael K. Gilchrist, like Maxi Kleba, make them shoot. You like you can you can dig down on Doncic if that's the case, but don't leave open Tim Hardaway Jr. to some degree. Don't leave open Chris Porzingis. Don't leave open Seth Curry especially. You know, like you got to be smart there. And so adjustment wise, the one thing I'm going to look forward to in Game Two and kind of look out for does Doc limit the rotation minutes for Reggie Jackson and or Landry Shamit? Like, does one of them just get completely waxed out of the equation in terms of minutes? And number two for the Clippers, does Patrick Beverly play more? Because his minutes limit, I understand he had fouls tonight, but he was going to be on a minutes limit regardless. And I do want to give Doc Rivers credit for something. He did manage Patrick Beverly's minutes pretty well. He took him out after four minutes in the first. He like he only played, I think, like, like eight minutes in the first half. So he got more run in the second. And that run in the second helped the Clippers because he got key offensive rebounds down the stretch. And he, and he was really good defensively. Like he poked a ball loose at one time, you know, Kawhi Leonard's flying everywhere. Like if, if you're the Clippers, it was a weird game. Luka Doncic scored 42 and had nine assists. I understand Porzingis got ejected from the contest. You still won and you only need three more and then you're, and then you're advanced. So at the end of the day, it's a win. That's all you really need. doesn't matter how you get them. I am. With you on everything, uh, I, I think for me, it's mainly rotational where, uh, again, I, I don't know if Pat's going to be on a minute's limit in game two, but I would like to see the starters all get 30 plus minutes. Um, you know, this has been a lineup that uh, heading into tonight had only played 11 games together, 147 total minutes. And it was a plus 22.9 in those 147 minutes. Uh, tonight, all five starters had double-digit plus-minus. Uh, you know, plus thirteen was the lowest, and that was for PG. Uh, so, you know, there, there can be some noise in, in some single-game plus-minus. It's not the end-all, be-all, but I do think it is. You know, if, if you look at the other side of the ledger, every Dallas starter was a was a you know in, in the minus in the plus-minus column, and, and uh, KP was only a minus six in his twenty minutes, but. From that point on, you know, it was double digits for the rest of the starters. So I, I do think that this Clippers starting five is really, really good. Uh, they, they have a nice two-way balance. You, you obviously have Kawhi and PG at, at the center of it, but Morris, Zoo, and, and Pat are all really good defenders. They all fit well together. Offensively, you got a good roller. You have good floor spacers. Um, a, a guy in Marcus who can take guys off the dribble occasionally. And they just have a really nice flow on both ends. So I would like to see that group play more and just overall those five who right now, you know, are maybe their five best players. You know, you, you, you throw Jamichael in with, with the way he played in the bubble. Um, you know, Trez and Lou are, are obviously, you know, compromised a little bit with, with being gone for so long. But um, those might be their five best players right now. And I think they got to ride that, uh, you know, kind of more in, in game two and ride what worked. Limit Reggie Jack. I mean, to me, Reggie should be out of the rotation. I, I've written that multiple times. I think he should be the 10th guy, not Landry. But based on the minutes tonight, it looks like it's going to be Landry. Um, but if Reggie is going to be the ninth guy, then he should be playing eight minutes, 10 minutes tops, not 16 minutes. Uh, he was very detrimental out there. I, I think Lou should probably have his minutes limited a little bit too. I mean, Lou kind of puts up these like 14 and five and it, it looks good, but he was four for 10. 
again, was atrocious defensively. And, um, you know, so I, I think th- they're going to figure it out. Like I, I, I am less and more confident in them somehow at the same time. Cause I, I think they could play a lot better. Uh, but look, Dallas is good. And I, I, I picked them to win a game. You picked them to win two. Like, um, I think one of us is going to be right. Like, I don't think this is going to be a sweep. Yeah, it's look, the Dallas Mavericks have a really talented duo and they might have, you know, they might have a top five player. Luka Doncic really might be that good already. It wouldn't be crazy to think that like he's, he's the captain of that ship and and he's steering them to, 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 to sites unseen basically by a kid as young as him, you know, and, and like that duo is so good. Their, their support players are good enough to help them. And they have one of the very best head coaches in the league. That's tough. And the Clippers have to play them in the first round. It kind of reminds me just a little bit. I know it sounds weird, but it kind of reminds me of that year that the Clippers played the Spurs in the first round. And yeah, th- like the ba- this Mavericks team doesn't have that championship experience. And, you know, like, the, like, the, like they don't have that cohesiveness of like all these Hall of Fame players and all this stuff. But that's what it reminds me of. Like a team that was too good for their seed coached by one of the very best coaches in basketball and you have to fend them off in the first round and that is not an easy task no matter how good your team is so it's going to be very interesting to see how the clippers do from here on out in the rest of the round because if they don't come to play and they came to play for the first couple minutes and then they took their foot off the gas thinking it was going to be all easy and it wasn't and you can't let your foot off the gas in the postseason or else you know it'll come back and bite you so in game two you got to be focused or else you're going to get run out of there. And Dallas is very capable of doing that. Uh, be- before we close here, I, I want to give a random shout out to Trey Burke. Um, I thought Trey, I mean, look, two points, one of five shooting, uh, one block, one turnover, uh, but was a bench high plus 14 off of the Mavericks bench. And I, I thought played really good defense tonight. Um, I thought he got into Lou. I thought he got into Reggie. Um, I, you know, random observation, but I, I was very impressed with Trey Burke. Um, I, I thought he, he played really well. Um, so that, that's how we're going to end this podcast. <laughs> He's a pesky uh, dude. You got to give him credit and you got to give the Dallas Mavericks credit. They signed him on July 1st. I, I was, I was the, the one thing that I will actually say, um, because we can never finish this podcast quickly. Um, it's a skill of ours. Uh, Dallas defensively looked a lot better than I thought they were going to. Um, you know, that, that was one of the things uh, they finished as the number 18 ranked defense. I, I believe they were bottom three in the bubble. They were, um, they were second worst in the bubble and they did not look like it tonight. Yeah, no, I mean, they, they, so they struggled in the bubble. They, they went from about, I think they were 15th heading into bubble play, ended up dropping to 18th overall. And that was kind of, to me, the biggest difference was, you know, you got the top two offenses you got two all-star level guys on both sides, even though I think everyone would, would lean towards the Clippers two guys. Um, you, you got good coaches. You got deep benches. Again, people would lean towards the Clippers, but Rick Carlisle always pulls out. I mean, all five Mavericks bench guys that played tonight were, were a plus and in, in, in the plus minus. Um, he, he always kind of cobbles together these funky bench lineups. Uh, but to me, it was the, the Mavericks defended really well. And, and that was, to me, like the biggest difference in the series but if they're going to defend like this, you know, they, it felt like they knew everything the Clippers were running. A lot of it was just the Clippers have talented guys who can hit tough shots. And, um, you know, I, I was very impressed with their defense. And, and that, to me, is something to, to monitor moving forward. Because if they can defend well, they obviously have the offensive talent. And, um, you know, that could be a six-game series. Like, 
so we'll, we'll see. But uh, Justin, where can people find you on Twitter and where can they read and listen to your work? You can find me on Twitter at, at flybynight. That's F-L-Y-B-Y-K-N-I-T-E. I almost forgot how to spell my own Twitter handle. That was great. Uh, you can find me on patreon.com slash flybynight. I do five takeaways, basically a recap article of every game. I do video breakdowns. Um, and you can, if you want to hear me and more of my uh, soulful voice on the airwaves, you can go over to the Clip and Roll podcast on the Blue Wire Network. Uh, we're going to be doing a podcast in the next couple of days to talk about the first couple of games of this series. So, you know, swing on by, have a good time. Look, it's the postseason. You might as well enjoy it while you got it. Yes, sir. Uh, thanks for coming on as always. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Jovan Buha. That's at J O V A N B U H A. And you can subscribe to the athletic on theathletic.com or the app store. Uh, and you can subscribe to this podcast on you know, through the athletic app um, or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, or go to theathletic.com slash Google to sign up um, for a free trial through Google. Uh, so I will be back. Uh, not sure. We'll, we'll see how crazy game two is. I don't think I'm going to make this a game by game thing. It might be in every other game. But again, well, you know, if game two is insane, Luca drops 60 and, and 15 assists. Uh, I, I might have to, to hop on here. But um, thank you guys for listening. And as always, reach out on Twitter or The Athletic if you have any questions, comments, um, or, or just want to talk. So peace.